0: If you have a Bible, please turn with us to 1 Kings chapter 20. And we'll get through both chapters. They seem pretty long, but we can do this. Amen? Can't we do this? Yeah. Look, when you think about God, always think about He's good all by Himself. That He is good all by Himself. His goodness is not based off us. You would think that He's good if we're good. So if you were really good You know, God will treat you really good. No, God is good. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He never changes. He cannot lie. He's immutable. He cannot lie. He loves us. And even when we fail, we make mistakes and we do all types of things. Do you know when I didn't know Jesus Christ... This is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Christ still died for me and I didn't even know it. And so we think that, you know, every sinner, everybody that's wicked, God is, you know, he will not acquit the wicked, but he sure is long-suffering towards the wicked. By no means will he acquit the wicked, it says in the book of Nahum, but he is long-suffering. And all of us who came to Christ, he was long-suffering with all of us. You know, And then it will be people he's long-suffering with that will reject him and reject him. And we'll look at this tonight in the life of Ahab. Ahab will be a person that will see God's goodness in this wicked king's life. And he don't even recognize his goodness was for him to come to a place. You know what God's goodness is for? For us to come to a place of repentance. You know, and so it says in verse 1, it says, Now Ben-Hadad. The king of Syria gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. So this is Ben-Hadad, the name that means Ben is always son of, son of the god of Hadad. It was a number of kings, you know, that were named, a few named Ben-Hadad, This is probably Ben-Hadad II, who reigned from 860 to 841 B.C. I'm thinking, is this Ben-Hadad? Because when we get to 2 Kings chapter 8, there's another king of Syria, but his name is Haziel. He would reign from um, 841 B.C. to 806 B.C., after Haziel was another man called Ben Hadad, but he was Ben the III in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 3. That's another Ben Hadad, but that was Ben Hadad III. He reigned from 806 to 770 BC. And then it was a, almost, a, you know, the Bible gives us a blur of the kings of Syria, about a 50 year blur, and then about a 20 year blur, rather. And then in, in 750 BC to 730 BC, then risen raised up, is raised up in Second Kings 15, verse 37. So through the Bible, they have these kings of Syria, not Assyria, Syria. Syria. Was well, a country right now? We known as one of the oldest countries in the world. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the entire world. This Syria, that's the Syria, Ben Hadet Syria, is still a country today. Isaiah will write and say Damascus will be no more. One day there will be no Damascus. It will be blown to to I don't know when. It's still there, but it's close, hanging on the threads. But it's one of the oldest cities in the world, Damascus, Syria. So this is the Ben-Hadad here, and the king of Syria, this Ben-Hadad II, and gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him. Thirty-two kings were subject to him with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad. Somebody help her with her phone. Somebody said, you know, it it says, then he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad. Because she had the Bible read at the same time. And the Bible said, you know, so... And then in verse 3, this is a Ben-Hadad, he says, thus says Ben-Hadad. Anytime you hear a human being says thus, that person who's saying thus is in trouble. Because only God would say, thus says the Lord, thus says the word of the Lord, thus, thus. When a man says thus, he's walking on very, very thin ice. He says, thus says Ben-Hadad in verse 2. He says, your silver... And your gold are mine. Notice what he says. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. He didn't say the unattractive women. He said the loveliest women. And he knew Ahab was married to Jezebel, so he said, I don't want her. Your silver and your gold is mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. This is not true at all. Because Israel was God's own people, and they belonged to God, not to Ben-Hadad. You know, when you go back in the Bible and you read the law, Deuteronomy chapter 7, it tells us that you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you, nor chose you because you were more numbered than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, meaning the nation of Israel. That's why God chose them. They were the least of all people, but because the Lord loves you and because Because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to, you know, to your fathers, meaning Abraham. The Lord has brought you out of, uh, brought you up out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Israel was God's people. To this day, they are still God's people. And people say, well, why would he choose Israel? Well, the Messiah comes through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. So Ben-Hadad says, look, your silver is mine, your loveliest wives and your children are mine. That, that was not true. They still belong to the Lord. Because he's going to say your silver and your gold is mine. We know that's not true if you know the book of Haggai, Haggai 2.8. God says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, thus says the Lord of hosts. Not thus says the king Ben-Hadad. It doesn't say that. So this king is walking on, and he's treaded on shaky ground by saying, thus. And then it says in verse 4, And the king of Israel answered and said, this is Ahab, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that you have is yours. This is Ahab cowering down. Then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have set, sent to you, saying, you shall deliver to me your silver, deliver, not we're going to come pick it up, deliver, <laughs> deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my, my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they will search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it is so something? They're going to take it. Somebody just taking yours, all of your stuff. That's what the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Christ said that I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. The enemy is taking captive of so many homes, coming in and taking whatever he wants. And it says in verse 7, so the king of Israel, meaning Ahab, he caused this meeting. He had enough, I'm sure. Called all the elders of the land and said, notice... Please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he, set, no, for he sent to me for my wives, so Ahab had more than one wife, because we know he got like 70 children. My children, my silver... And my goal, and I did not deny him. And he gets this all wrong. They was not his children. They were, it was not his goal. It was all the Lord's. Anything that we possess belongs to the Lord. Your house, your car, even your children. They know children are a gift. You're only stewards over their lives. They don't even belong to us. Isn't that something? And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. And they've given him good godly advice and counsel. Therefore he sent to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell my lord the king. And he's calling him the low-case lord the king. All that you sent for to your servant the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do. Ahab is saying that, you know, you're ramshacking every house in the city. That's out of the question. And you want the silver and the gold and you want our wives. I'm not doing that and the messengers departed and brought back word to him, meaning um, Ben-Hadad, verse 10. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do so to me, and more also, sounds like what Jezebel said to um, Elijah. If if enough dust is left on Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. Ben-Hadad is saying that the army that he has is great in number and that a handful of his army is greater than the dust in Samaria. So the king of Israel, meaning Ahab, answered and said, tell him, meaning Ben-Hadad II, this is back and forth, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Ahab is saying, look, go tell Ben-Hadad to not count his gold before it's in his hands. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he and the kings, these other 32 kings, were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city, speaking of Samaria. Suddenly, I love this, every time God puts something together, he puts this in the story. We always need a man of God around. We always need somebody with the word of the living God. And here suddenly it says, a prophet, a known prophet, approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, look what he says. Not thus says Ben-Hadad. He says, thus says the Lord, his capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah, the national name of the God of Israel. Thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? behold. I will deliver into your hand today, this is a one-day event, and you shall know that I am the Lord. God is speaking to Ahab through his grace. He was the most wicked king in all of Israel, and yet God bestows grace to even this wicked, abominable man. Is there something? The heart of God here towards a sinner Ahab should have been, you know, instinctively discerned that God's goodness was for the purpose of leading him into repentance. Sometimes we think we're getting away with murder, and God is good to us. God is good to us. God is good to us. He wants us to repent. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. You know, Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter two. You know, verse four, he says, "Or do you despise the riches of His goodness?" Forbearance, long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Do you not know that? He, and that was a question. So God is being patient with this wicked king. He's patient with us. You know some things you've done. You said, "When is he going to get me? When is he going to get me?" I know he's going to. He could smoke me right now. And God is not grace. He's grace, full of truth, full of grace. And here, God's being patient with this king. You know, Ahab's name is mentioned 82 times in the Bible. And the scripture says, now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. In 1 Kings 16, verse 30, he did more evil than all those who were before him. That would include Jeroboam. <laughs> who took worship into, you know, to the north and then, you know, then Bethel to the Dan and so forth, who made these shrines and so forth. He was more wicked than him. More wicked than him. God was being, he's being gracious to this king because he loves Israel. He loves Israel. He says, Behold, I will deliver it, meaning this great multitude, into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That's how we know that he's the Lord, because he's good when we don't even deserve it. That's how we know he's the Lord. And they would say in the Old Baptist church, God is good. And these people said, all the time, and all the time, God is and That was dead. God is good. That's dead. God is good. The God is what? Good. God said, good, good, good. I bet you if you hit the lottery or something, you would be sounding like that. Some of y'all played a lot of it. I know it. No, I'm just. No, no, no. I just said that. Sorry, forgive me. I didn't mean it. Who? Who just hit? No, I'm <laughs> just. So, Ahab said, verse fourteen. He's speaking to this unknown prophet. By whom? How God? He said, "How is God going to deliver anybody? By whom?" And he's like, "I'm most Sure, ain't me. He says, "By whom?" And he said, "Thus says the Lord." I love this. By the young leaders of the provinces, those who are not sinful like you, I'm sure. Then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. (laughs) You set it up. Then he mustered the young leaders of the province. And there were, you know, 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. It's interesting, you know. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings, helping him, notice, were getting drunk at the command post. So they're in the middle of the day. This is, in, this is noontime. They, they're getting drunk, getting pickled drunk in, at noontime. You know, they're getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the province went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol. And they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. This is the middle of the day. They're getting drunk, drinking Thunderbird or something. I don't know. So he said, if they come out for peace, take them alive. And if they come out for war, take them alive. This is the Thunderbird speaking, or the liquor. In their drunkenness, they think that they can take anyone. If they come out, listen to what it's saying. If they come out for peace, take them alive. And if they come out for war, take them alive. <laughs> drunk, a bunch of drunk kings. It says, then these young men of the province went out of the city with the army, which followed them, the 7,000, and each one killed his man. <laughs> so the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the Calvary. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. This was the Lord's door, not Ahab's. And the prophet, this unknown prophet, came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen yourself, take note. And see what you should do, for in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. In other words, the devil never stops. He'll be back again. Then the servants of the king of, of Syria said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they are stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, this is how crazy they are, surely we will be stronger than they. they thinking that the children of Israel, God is the God of the hills. He's the God of glory. So do this thing, dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. How dumb is that? So it was in the spring of the year, just like the prophet said in verse 22, a year later, that Ben Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and, and, and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. So it looked like a mishmash. You know, you got to fight. They had thousands of Syrians. And they got these little Israel army, you know. It doesn't matter what we go up against. Some things are bigger and badder than we are. And you know what happens? At the end of the day, we still win. Do you realize that? Some things are bigger and badder because greater than he that's in us than he that's in the world. Some things look so much bigger than what the, the enemy makes everything look bigger and worse than what it is. He knows how to make a picture where we can lose heart. Because his whole goal is that we lose heart, don't trust in God. His whole goal is that we would be discouraged. His whole goal is that we would give up and quit. That's his job. He wants us to, that's it, I can't take no more. That's the enemy. He does that. And this looks like a mismatch. But it's not. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills. They should have never said that. But he is not God of, but he is not God of the valleys, meaning the plains. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know. This is why I'm doing this. You shall know that I am the Lord. God is going to show them that he's not only the God of the hill and not only, you know, the God of the plains. He's the God of the world. And we often think that he's, you know, he's one or the other. <laughs> you know, he's one or the other. You know, well, he's the God of when I'm in this, he can't be this. That's why through the Gospel of John, we got the I am's. You know, he goes and he says, look, I am the bread of life. You know, I am the light of the world. You know, I am the way to shoot and the life. You know, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. You know, we got all these I am's. Then he says in John chapter 8, I am. You know, that's who I am. I am before Abraham was, I was. That's why we, because he can be whatever we need him to be in our circumstances. If we need him to be Jehovah Jireh, he can be Jehovah Jireh, our provider. If we need him to be Jehovah Tiskanu, our righteousness, he can be our righteousness. If we need him to be, you know, Jehovah Rapha, you know, he can be our healer. He can be whatever we need him to be when we need him to be it. Never, never underestimate the power of God. He is great and he does marvelous things. Amen. Who is like unto our God? There is none like our God. There is no one like our God. Pardoning iniquity. He opened the Red Sea, you remember? Some of us need some Red Sea blessings sometimes. He could do it. He sent manna from heaven. They were in a wilderness. Manna, Jesus, I'm the bread of life. That was a picture of Christ. Psalm 78, verse 25, it says they called it angel's food. This is our God. It's not based on how good we are. Ahab was this wicked man. He was a wicked man. He despised the things of God, and yet God was still good. How much more when we walk with him and obey him? Everything God does in our life is good, and you can rest assured of that, because he knows exactly what we need when we need it. You believe that tonight? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. He is the same God. When we walk through those difficult journeys in life, through the valleys of death, is he not only the God of the hills or, or when we walk through the plains, God, we are convinced that he is God in all of our situations. He's the God of all comfort, no matter what the state is. He's the God of all comfort. And he knows what he's doing. He said, I don't understand that, Lord. I don't have to understand what he's doing. So many horrific things I've seen in my life, me and my wife. And I realize that he still is the God. Of glory to God of peace. And this is in verse 29. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. It's a standoff. So it was on the seventh day the battle was joined. And the children of Israel, this smaller army, killed, notice, 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. 100,000 is one-tenth of a million. But the rest fled to Aphex. Aphek, which means far, is some believe that it was probably this particular Aphek, because it's different parts. Some believe that it's a city in the territory of Benjamin. It means fortress. Into the city, then a wall. Notice this when they come running. Then a wall fell on twenty-seven thousand of the men who were left. God said, "Okay, okay, let me do something." Pew! The enemy is done. <laughs> Could you imagine? We think the enemy has power. He's like a pit bull on a leash. God sent an angel one night and, sent, and killed 185,000 soldiers, the Syrians. 185,000 in one night. Gideon, knew he only had, look, he had 32,000 men. And God said, okay, the ones who want to go, go. Then he took them down. The guys were slapping. He sent the rest of them home. Altogether, 31,700 men was gone. And God said, Now you got the chosen 300. Now you can fight. And it was 300 against 135,000 Midianites. You do the math. The same math that happened to Elijah when it was in Mount Carmel. One to 450. Y'all guys, good mathematicians. You divide 135,000 by 300, you get 450. Don't tell me he's not greater than the enemy. Get that out of your mind. He is greater than the enemy. 27,000 of the men who were left, a wall fell on them. And Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city, into the inner chamber. He's a coward. He's running. God's goodness is not always based on our goodness. He's faithful even when we're not. Then his servant said to him, notice, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they, were, so they wore sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads, which they were doing at that culture, and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please, let me live. And he, meaning Ahab said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Is he crazy? He calls somebody his brother. God just delivered you from the enemy hands. Now you're making a treaty with the enemy? He just delivered you from that man that we used to mess when he treated you like dirt. And now you're making a treaty with him. We're going to go back together. We love each other. Or God just cheated on you. you know. Let's make a treaty. Let's make a treaty with them. Just delivered you from something, and you go right back and make a treaty with it. Ahab is out of his mind. But he's thinking political, and he's thinking about how he could get some leverage. by he's probably saying, let me tell you something. If I had more allies, the Syrians was coming to power in this particular time in history. If I had more allies... I'll be friends with the Syrians because they know we can beat them. Let them be our friends. They'll help us if we go up against the Syrians. Instead of him trusting the living God, he said, let's get the Syrians on our side. So if the us Syrians come up against us, we will have a huge army to fight against them. But not trusting in the living God. God just gave him victory. God is long-suffering. Ab is a remarkable, foolish man. Now, the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at this word and said, Your brother, A-, listen, your brother Ben Hadad, <laughs> brother Ben Haydad, you know, your brother Ben Hadad. So he said, Go bring him. Then Ben Hadad came out to him and he had him come up into the chariot. <laughs> come sit here. God, I was just threatening your life and your family. So Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. And you may set up marketplaces for yourself, notice, in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. Wow. And he made a treaty with him and sent him away. We do know that in 853 B.C., Ahab and and Ben-Hadad, this information is in the um, museum in Great Britain, so they would hold off the Syrians. They made this type of treaty. Isn't that something? Don't make no treaties with the devil. You hear me? Because you got to keep them a secret, especially if you're a believer. And want nobody to know. <laughs> Now certain men of the sons of the prophets, I like this, the sons of the prophets mentioned nine times only in the book of Kings. However, this is the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. The sons of the prophet, God had 7,000 that didn't bow down to Baal, said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. He's refusing the, the word of God. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, This is thrown in here. Surely as soon as you depart from me, notice, a lion shall kill you. As soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. A lion is how the devil is described. And for those who refute and reject the word of God, they will be devoured like that of a lion's attack. You know, that's why the Bible says be vigilant. All of us should be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know, we should resist the devil. And he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him, afflicting the wound. And this man must have heard about what happened to the other man. Then a prophet departed and waited for the king, meaning Ahab, on the road and disguised himself with, uh, notice, a a bandage over his eyes, acting like he was wounded in battle. And as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, your servant went out into the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, guard this man, if by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And Ahab is saying that he pronounced his own guilt. Really, he don't know that. He's, Ahab is saying that he pronounced his own guilt for himself, really. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel, notice, recognized him as one of the prophets. Now, Flavius Josephus, who writes us different things and great things, says that this was Micaiah. This was the prophet Micaiah that predicted Ahab's death. When we get to the 22nd chapter, and you know, in 2 Kings chapter 18, he'll say, Help predict Ahab's, Ahab's death. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man, meaning Ben Hadad whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his and your people for his. So what Ahab pronounced upon the prophet, he's pronouncing upon himself. It was a sin to let Ben-Hadad live because he wanted him utterly destroyed. There are some things in our lives that God wants to utterly destroy. And if we won't do it, they will destroy us sooner or later. There's some things God said, you need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of that filthy mouth. You need to get rid of how newsy you are. You need to get rid of that pride. You need to get up, get rid of how self-centered you are, how, how jealous you are. You need to get rid of those things. You need to get rid of this and that. Sometimes those things come back to destroy us. So the king of Israel went to his house, solemn, meaning heavy, King James, and displeased and came to Samaria And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, was no chapter break, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Notice this is Ahab, king of Samaria, not Ahab, king of Israel. It's interesting. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house. For it, I will give you a vineyard, no, better than, better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. Ahab is a miserable person he had an ivory palace, and now he wants a vegetable garden. Sounds like most rich people, never happy, don't know what to do with their money, buy peacocks or some squirrels or a or, 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 or donkey or something, I don't know. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give, notice, the inheritance of my father to you. The key word here is inheritance. If you understood the law, you would understand what he was saying. This man knew the word of God. Because the word of God in the book of Numbers, chapter 36, verse 7, the word of God says in the law of Moses, So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So he's in alignment with the word of God. Naboth means sprout, a sprout. Was, he, he was being reasonable here because the land that he lived upon had the promises of God attached to them and his word. And one that the Messiah was coming back to his own land. This was God's real estate. Israel is God's real estate. No matter how the UN and all these other people try to divide it and all that. And, you know, this is the West Bank and this is. No, that land belongs to Israel. That's God's real estate. And he will come back one day and divide it up the way it should be. It's much larger than it is right now in the mind of God. It's like the size of New Jersey. It's much larger than that in the mind of God. We have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Can we give our inheritance away? Would you give your inheritance away? We have an inheritance. You know, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to live in hope. Through the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. That fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, and who are kept, we're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be, re- to be revealed in the last time. Isn't that something? Would you give your inheritance away? I think when a believer messes with an unbeliever, they get an inheritance away. I think they give something away that they don't have the right to give away. So Ahab went into the house, solemn or heavy, and displeased because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, he's the king, he could have took the land. For he, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat, like a big baby. He won't give me the land, I ain't eating nothing at night. You ever see men that act like a baby? That's the worst picture of a man that acts like a little infant baby. I don't have my way, I'm taking my basketball back. Like a big baby, that's what he's like. But Jezebel, oh boy, his wife came to him and said, why is your spirit so solemn that you eat no food? Why is your spirit so heavy? So he said to her, men, take note of this. Your wife hates for you to lose. So they normally will be on your side. My wife is not like that, though, for some reason. She's a little bit different. She'll find out first, was I right or wrong? <laughs> So I asked, well, well, do you think you was right or wrong, you know? So I can't go home and tell her. So I don't tell her every problem. I'm not supposed to tell her every problem. She shouldn't bear every burden I have. There's some places God's taking me as a man. He's not taking my wife. He's taking me there to sanctify me to be more like Christ so I can be good for my wife. He's not taking me there to cry every five minutes. I didn't get what I wanted, and, and now I'm, like, having a little hard time. and I can't sleep the night at all. He ain't calling me to that. This guy's a big baby. And Jezebel come and she said, Why is your spirit so heavy that you have eaten no food? But he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite. And he said to him, And he said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. You know, <laughs> imagine that. Naboth never mentioned a vineyard. He said his inheritance. So he's lying. He ain't never sitting about a vineyard. Ahab said that, not him. Then Jezebel's wife said to him, Notice, you know, you, you know, you now exercise. It. He says, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you notice, she's saying, I will give you Nabal vineyard. You know, of Jezreel, I would give it to you. I would give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. She's saying, I'll do it. Don't get your wives in your fight sometime. You know, you argue with, that's why when we used to say when you get married, you get in an argument with your wife or something. Don't you tell your in-laws. Because y'all might make up, and then they still mad at them for life. Every time I can, every time I think about it, I think about the time he choked her or something like that. And she forgave him for choking her, you know. My brother-in-law said that one time. My mom was refereeing one of their fights. He said, Mom, I didn't hit her. I didn't hit her. I kicked her. <laughs> it's like that was better, you know. And here she said, I'll get it. And here she's taking the, now she's taking the charge here. She's not in order. She's not in the right place. She's out of order. We was doing Genesis the other day. It was like everybody left by the I'm sure, feeling kind of heavy hearted. <laughs> you know, say, hey, Eve was in Eve was out of position. That's why the serpent was able to deceive her. Where was Adam? Her covering. You know? And it's interesting here that Jezebel, we're gonna see who's wearing the pants around this palace. Because it says, and she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed with, this, with his seal, and sent letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth. Isn't it something? We know who's the boss now. It's hard in the modern day world we live in, and you read this, it's hard in the modern day world for a woman, and I mean this too, with great conviction, It's hard for a woman to understand how to submit to a man. It's hard. And then that stuff is coming in the church. Like when it says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And people say, what do you mean? Don't nobody tell me what to do. I'm my own woman. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Here Jezebel is taking a place that's not even hers. Now she's leading and the husband is behind her. In modern day culture, that's antiquated. You listen to some of those clips of Judge Judy and some of those people. Nowhere in the world, don't even take their last name and don't do this, don't let you. nowhere in the world you should do this, you're your own woman. But that's not what the Bible teaches That is not what the Bible teaches. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. He's always old knucklehead, and that's not. There's no clause for it. I would respect him, but I don't. No, no, no. Or I would submit to him, but he's no. uh, No, no, no. I would love her like Christ loved the church, but she keep burning up the eggs. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. And here Ahab is out of place. And so verse 9 she wrote in the letter saying proclaim notice a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. This is all fake. And sit notice two men and look at the clause scoundrels. Before him to bear witness against them, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. This is the work of the devil. He's a liar. Isn't this something? He's a liar. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel notice, as Jezebel had sent to them, not her husband. As it was written in the letters which she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast. This is a fast, but not something that's spiritual. Not every fast is something good. You can fast for the wrong reasons. <laughs> they proclaimed a fast to kill somebody. They, they proclaimed the fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people, like Jezebel said. The two men scoundrels came in and sat before him and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king and they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. That wicked, wicked, wicked woman, Jezebel. Look, the wicked can only prosper when the righteous keep silent. We don't say nothing. And no doubt in my mind, they sat around and watched this righteous man be stoned by this false accusation, and they did nothing. Nothing at all. Then they sent word to Jezebel, say, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. God sees this ordeal too. You know why? Because God judges sin he sees the seen and the unseen. Isn't that something? He knows every murderer that's on the run to think he got away with it. Every last one of them. He says in you know Mark's Gospel in chapter four, verse twenty-two: "There is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has there anything been kept secret, but that it should be that it should come to the light. Nothing. Everything is naked before his eyes." Hebrews four. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you money for. For Naboth is not alive but dead. He never asked, How did he die? So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take, to take possession of the vineyard and Naboth the Jezreelite. Isn't that something? Then the word of the Lord came to and Here's Elijah back on the picture. Elijah the Tishbite saying, here's the word of the Lord. It came to him. 1 Kings 17.1, 1 Kings 17.8, 1 Kings 17. 1, First Kings 17 8, First Kings 181 1, Kings 19, verse 9, and here in 1 Kings, chapter 21, verse 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, and this is what it's saying, Arise, go down to me, Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, see, God sees everything, where he has gone out to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? He thinks it's done in secret, but God knows everything, and he sends a prophet to tell him that he knows about it. Isn't that something? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick, the, lick, the, lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Now Elijah is the last person that he wanted to see. This is the last time he saw him. He defeated the 450 prophets of Baal and put them all to death. Have you found me, O my enemy? This is what Ahab calls the prophet of Israel. And he answered, "I found you, because you have sold. In other words, have you married yourself to evil? A cleave it means to cleave to evil. You have sold yourself to evil in the sight of the Lord." Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. I I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. And like the house of Baasha, Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, the dogs. Remember this. Underline this in your Bible because this is going to happen. Mark God's word. When you hear something in one place, see if it's fulfilled in another place. That's how you know it's the word of the living God. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whatever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whatever dies in the field. But there was not one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Because notice, because Jezebel's wife stirred him up. You the king, do whatever you want to do, honey. You don't let nobody talk to you like that. Get them back. Get them back. Get them back. You know somebody could stir you up to do something, girl. I wouldn't take that. Oh no, no, I'd go in and spray paint his whole house. I wanted your girlfriend see one of the guys you're dating at the movies with another girl on the phone. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he was Shalaka, uh-huh. And he on his way to get home, and she pulling right up when him, and Shalaka pull up. <laughs> I thought you said you had to work overtime, buddy. <laughs> and there's a big fight break out, and then your house gets spray-painted or something. He was so wicked, his wife stirred him up. He was already evil, now he married an evil woman who stirs him up even more. Guys, don't marry a Jezebel. If you get married, don't marry one of them. Don't marry somebody that always thinks you're right with every decision you make. Don't Don't do it. Have somebody that challenge your thinking. So you sure you want to make that decision? Because there's more wisdom in that. It's more wisdom in having somebody to say, "Honey, I don't know if you're making a good decision." Don't say, yes, honey, that's good, if you want to do it. If you feel like it, honey, you do it. That is not good. Sometimes you have to be that wife to say, honey, I don't know if that's a good decision. And a wise man would listen to that. You know, God told Abraham, he says, listen to Sarah. Some people say, well, what, do you, what is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. Listen to Sarah. Some God should listen to Sarah. They got to say, Well, Sarah is really a Sarah, but listen to Sarah. But don't listen to Jezebel. Don't you listen to Jezebel. Because she stirred him up. Notice. And he behaved very abominably in fallen idols. It's because the wife he had. According to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words, from, you know, Elijah told him a few things or two, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and laid in sackcloth and went about mourning. He didn't repent. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite by saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself, not repentant, Just circumstances, godly sorrow produces repentance. Judas never repented. He gave back the silver, but he never repented. See how Ahab has humbled himself before me because he knows something's going to happen to him. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his days, in the days of his son. I will bring calamity on his house. He humbled himself because of circumstances, but he didn't repent of his sin. I'm not going to do that no more. I was wrong. But that's not repentance. Repentance is a word metanoia. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is an invitation word. When God says repent, when Jesus comes on the scene, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says repent that you may have a time of refreshing in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repentance is not a bad word. It's not a bad word. It's an invitation word. Because as you repent, you enter into a place where you'll find on the other side of repentance, there's peace, there's fellowship, there's joy, there is hope, there is a sense of his presence, there's love. Isn't this something what repentance does? It's restoration, reconciliation. And there's a sense of, Lord, I know I messed up, but I know you love me. Because if we confess our sins, even as believers, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess, hama, legia is the Greek word. Hama, same thing, Legea, logo. We get logos, word from it. If you call it God's word, if you can say, Lord, Lord, I, I fell. No, Lord, don't want to hear all that. Lord, I lied. Lord, I stole. That's what the word says. Lord, I fornicated. Lord, that's what I did. Lord, I committed adultery. Lord, that's repent. That's coming to the Lord. When you're calling it what God called it, because the next time you do it, you say, Lord, I don't want to do this no more. And the Holy Spirit got something to remind you of. I thought you said you didn't want to lie no more. I thought you said you wanted to stop stealing. I thought you said you wanted to stop being so envious. I come right in there. And meet you right where you're at. Repentance is a good word. Ahab lived in sin so much, he didn't think it was possible for him to repent. You can live in sin so long, you don't think God wants nothing to do with you, and that's not true. He's ready to forgive, he's ready to forgive. God loves us. Look, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. John 3.17, it says he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. John. People miss John 3.17 all through the Bible. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. This world is already falling and going. To, it's going to be, it's, look, the, the world that we live in today will be no more. But God's word will last all out through eternity and beyond. Heaven and earth will follow, but not one jot or tittle of his word will fail. None of it. It's settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89, it says it's settled in heaven. And he magnifies his word even above his name. You know, you read Psalm you know, 138, verse 2. He says he magnifies his word even above his name. He exhausts his word even above his own name. And in the word of God, there's forgiveness for the person who wants forgiveness. You can be the most wretched person in the entire world, and God can, I'm a witness, I'm one of them, and he can forgive you. He can forgive you. There's no sin to grave. Look, the impartable sin is this sin, that you die and never receive Jesus Christ. That's the impartable sin. And if a person wants Jesus Christ, you could be an Ahab and repent and he'll save you. He will save you. He, some of us know where we came from. Sometimes we look across the room and hope we find somebody just like we used to be almost like, wow. Man, I, and it could, you see somebody like you used to be, it reminds you how good God is. Because he'll give you a mirror of somebody and you trying to like, start judging them and be judgmental. Like, oh, look how they live in it. Look. And he said, like, oh, I remember you. Hey, 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 buddy! Remember when you was out there? You know what most people say? Oh, I was never out there. Oh well, yes, you was. You was out there hiding, or you were out there in public. But you was out there. I don't know why they made that song. The freaks come out at night. I never understood that. <laughs> it's a dumb song, but they came out at night. Sorry, Lord. (laughs) Let's stand up as we pray. (laughs) (laughs) Father, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Let us humble ourselves for real. Let us learn, Lord, your ways, Lord. Let us understand how much you love us. Not by power, not by might, but by the spirit of the Lord of hosts Will we enter into these things. Your spirit, Lord. Is your word, is your grace, is your kindness, your goodness. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We praise you. We know that everything you want for us us is only good, Lord. Because you said, No good thing will you withhold from them that walk rightly before you, Lord. And so, Father, give us wisdom, Lord. Lord, teach us not to believe every spirit, but test the spirit whether it is of God. There's many false prophets that have gone into the world. But we know, Lord, by you, we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, Lord, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh of God. And so we know, we do confess that you are the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, Lord, bless us, Lord, keep us. We love you, we praise you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Let's get a Lord of Big Hand tonight as we've seen this last song. God is good.